podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Hello and welcome to the 300th edition of the Anfield Index podcast, broadcasting to you from my study in my house in the field in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny and to celebrate this landmark episode, I'm joined by current AIP stalwarts Cam Branch and Guy Drinkle, a Navin brother from another mother and AIOG Dave Hendrick. I'll go around to everybody and just say hello before we do our opening bits and pieces. Strangely enough, there is a little bit of structure to the show. I'm sure that'll go by the wayside almost immediately. But just in order of the people I mentioned there, Cam, you're all set up and sounding uh, uh, lovely and um, smooth with your new mic there. How, how are you getting on this evening? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, come down with a bit of a... had a sore throat for a couple of days. Uh, I think I shouted too much on the cop on uh, Sunday and I'm paying the price, so... Uh, Mrs. B's uh, wonderful uh, ginger, honey, and black pepper uh, mixture seems to have done the trick. Yeah, that's um, you've you've got it made, pal. What Mrs. B? Oh well, you know, um, you and, when, and we will. I will come on to that later with what, one of the Twitter questions as well. So. Well, one hundred percent. It's it's well worth all the time you spend in the shed for the moments. <laughs> In the sunshine, uh, uh, did you know Horinda's making me a shed as well? <laughs> Listen, you've got one here too if you ever find yourself there. So don't, don't you worry about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Guy Drinkle, how are you this evening, man? I, I, I assume as the Swiss Army knife of uh, Anfield Index, you're flat out every single day, especially with young Hendrik there putting you under pressure. Yeah, it's mainly just Dave. <laughs> <laughs> It is mainly yeah. just Dave. Um, yeah, well, he keeps me busy during the day, at least, that's it. Uh, but yeah, I've been busy. Uh, of International breaks, like, half term for me now, it was great. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that's why I, w- I wanted to lean into it and, and, and try recording Moby on the spot the other evening. And I haven't had a chance to listen back to it, so I don't know if it's shit or not. So if it is, my apologies. Uh, and it wasn't Guy, it was me. Uh, but if it worked out well, uh, then I'm uh, downy for a drinkle's job, I think. Yeah, you can have it. I'll, I'll go teach. I'll go teach in Ireland. It'll be fine. <laughs> Excellent. We'll see how that pans out. And welcoming back a man who uh, was here when it all started. Um, and I suppose that's where I'd like to start with you, Dave, is just to get a kind of feel for how, you know, the significance of hanging around this particular entity online in all its various forms for the amount of time it's been in, in existence. I think 2013, if we, if we count it back, mm. but you'd know better than us. I mean, just gives a little picture of, 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 there's one of the questions later on asked, did Gags ever think this would last till 300 episodes? I mean, nobody probably did at the time. We didn't think it would last to episode three, let alone episode 300. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's eight years, I believe, in October or November. Uh, 
the end of this month or the start of next month, I can't remember. I know that the first podcast, there was myself, Gags, John Ritchie, Marco Lopez, and I believe Andrew Beasley was the, was the group. And we were talking about whether Brendan Rodgers would have the balls to drop Stephen Gerrard, who was in a dreadful run of form at the time, mm. or what he, what he could do to turn things around for Gerrard. In the end, one of the things we suggested was moving him to a deeper role, putting two runners in front of them and letting them do all the legwork and letting him just kind of Jedi mind trick his way through games and use his passing ability and his experience. And that's essentially what he did, which led us to a title challenge. Um, but yeah, no, we, we didn't think it would last anywhere close to this. It, it started off, it was going to be a bit of fun. I remember I was living in Australia and Gags messaged me and I didn't really know him all that well at the time. Like we followed each other on Twitter for a while, but you know, we, we hadn't had many interactions and he messaged me and said, do you want to be on this podcast that we're putting together? John Ritchie's going to host it. I'll jump on and off with stats and then there'll be some other people, but you and Richie would be kind of the two, the two main people. My assumption at the time, as my assumption is now, they just wanted somebody who was a bit of a mouthpiece who'd say <laughs> controversial things and get, you know, a bit of notoriety for it. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So you just set up a story where it started off a little anecdote about the Liverpool captain being out of form and uh, wonder, the manager wondering what, wondering would the manager have the boss to drop him. And now, you, now we've come full circle there and still here you are dropping controversial grenades left, right and centre all yeah. these years later. I love yeah, it. The thing is, Trev, right, you want to establish your lane early in this game and you want to yeah. stay right in that lane. <laughs> so the sweet spot for me is every time I podcast, if I can shock and or offend at least five people, I yeah. feel I've done my job. Uh, if Eddie, Greg and Gags aren't getting at least one complaint a week about me, I'm probably not doing what I'm meant to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of funny that here we are full circle with question marks over Liverpool captain. And uh, 300 episodes of, of something that we thought, you know, maybe we'll get a few weeks out of and no. people won't listen. But it was crazy because I think it was like by week three or four, we were top 10 on iTunes. It was like us, Stone Cold podcast, uh, some Chris Jericho pod. It was like us and like really famous people in the top 10 on iTunes for all sports. And we were like number one in football by a country mile. It, it was an amazing time, truly the wild west of the, mm. of the, 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 the format, uh, and the medium. Um, similarly with my bunch of, 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 uh, of, of Irish associates back in the day, we started just a couple of months before you guys and mm. same story. And, you were knocking out a hundred thousand listens to episodes. It was bananas. A bananas time to be doing it. Um, and very, very interesting. And, and we, we cut our teeth at similar times, but just one thing that I, I, I was always curious about, because I think you were on a podcast with me, um, before mm. you were on, on Anfield Index at least once. Yes. And the reason why was that you had quite a strong Twitter presence at the time and wasn't it a website stroke? Um, it was basically a website and a place for various articles. It was exclusively your own because I, I, I'm I'm trying to put it back together. What was what was going and, on? And this is so. The, the first podcast I ever did was the Bib Theorists, 
um, Jesus, there's Harry a blast Harry Hugo. Um, wow. God, I can't think of their names now. Harry Hugo, Dan, and Steve, Steve, Steve Hoare. And myself and Carl Matchett did that podcast together with them. So there's, there's something funny because I podcast now with Carl all the time. Uh, the second one I did was with you guys. And I, the, the only part I vividly remember was I was on for like the first part and then somebody else came on after. But there was a question of, you know, is, I think you were picking like the best ever Liverpool 11 position by position, week by week as like a bit of a running theme. Yeah. And we were doing one of the wing positions and we, I think Steve McManaman was the player we picked out on the day or something. Um, so that was the first two I did. The website I had at the time was called the Liverpool Word. That's and it, it was myself and Carol Matchett. And we, we got, so at the time we started, it was the summer that Kenny left and Rogers came in. And you remember there was quite a lot of, you know, who's going to be the manager, this, that, the other thing. And I wrote a piece about Rogers because I heard through somebody who knows somebody that Rogers was, it was looking like they would end up with Rogers, even though he hadn't been a preferred target, but the preferred targets weren't interested or the club had decided having met them, they weren't worth the hassle like Vias Boas. So I wrote a piece on Rogers and just how tactically he'd fit at Liverpool and personality wise, how he might fit. And all this before he kind of showed his true colours. And that, kind of blew up really quickly because within about two days his name started to circulate and then he obviously got the job and that piece got shared by Empire of the Cop who at the time were like by far the biggest yeah huge and yeah. probably still are they've got over a million followers like they had such a huge presence back in the day and that was when Anton was was running it so it was actually a, a you know a good entity back then they shared it and a few others shared it and it just kind of did the rounds and People like Jim Boardman, you know, who was really important in the early days of Twitter as well. And he ran the Anfield Road website. He shared it. And Gareth Roberts, who obviously would go on to form the Anfield Rap. But at the time he was doing the Late Tackle and the Well Read magazine, he shared it. Like all those kind of people that had those big. And that's how kind of how my presence online grew. And then people, you know, just started following me for different things on players a lot. I think I was like kind of the early one who was watching a lot of players and putting out like not scouting pieces, but like opinions on players that maybe others hadn't seen. Yeah. And that was kind of how I got known on Twitter, I think. Yeah, that's that's a, that is very much a USP um, for yourself and now by extension Carl as well with the shows and it's great. I mean I genuinely I, I still enjoy it because you know, um, like you say, it's not it's not given to everybody to have either the inclination or the time to do it, and it's always uh, very interesting to find out. That's remarkable, actually, because my own sort of journey with everything uh, creative to do with football started pretty much exactly the same time. My first piece was also for the Liverpool offside. It was called the Brendan Voyage, and that was my first column um, of four four and a half years worth of columns that came out four times a week, and they were all between a thousand and two thousand words. I mean, probably the most intense creative period of my life, actually, because that coincided mm. with the with the podcasting too. It's amazing uh, to see to see these things all line up, and you know, with that in mind. I just I have a few rough ideas what I'd like the show to to touch off. If we get there, we get there. If we don't, I'm not awfully distressed about it. And just so folks know, 
and then you can laugh at us if or laugh at me if we don't get to any of these things that I said we'd get to. The basic ideas that I'd like to get around uh, for the show this evening is just maybe talk first of all. Uh, I want an interesting fact from every, everyone about 300. Um, then I'm looking at, I, I thought we might talk about the Newcastle ownership thing because I think it's a good general football discussion uh, and it touches a lot of things that are relevant to Liverpool fans as well. Very, very relevant to Liverpool fans given recent discussions. I'd like to get all your take on that. And then I have a couple of lighter questions. One, if you were Liverpool gaffer after the Jurgen in 2024, what would things look like? Uh, and then we have a few questions from Twitter and we have a TV related question inspired by uh, Dave tweet during the week. So let's see how we get on with that. So Cam, all the way back around here, I seem to confuse you, brother, mm-hmm. uh, with the instruction uh, of, of, of forget about the quotes. Let's get a, an interesting uh, fact about 300. I know you've been beavering away, so what have you got for us? The perfect score in 10 pin bowling. Yes, that's top of one of the lists that I discovered as well. Uh, can you, can you speak from experience? Have you, have you done a bit of the old, uh, 10 pin bowling yourself? Yeah, the, the, I had, a six spare strikes on the trot once and, uh, everyone was getting, my first six attempts were spares or strikes. So everyone was getting really excited that I was going to do some magnificent score and then, the pressure was suddenly on and I just completely collapsed and um I ended up with uh, it's still my highest score. It was uh It doesn't count with a ramp cam, let's be honest. <laughs> or or a ring. <laughs> why would you do that to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I'll tell you what I did once. Um uh, but I, I got one seventy five on that one, but I'll tell you what I did once. I bowled the ball through my legs, facing Facing the, you know, everybody who who I was with, right, so I, right. I, I bent down True and I was sure. looking through my legs and I just bowled the ball. Yeah, I got a strike. Tremendous. And that's and no word of like honest, honest touch. Oh, I, 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 you, you're already far more of an expert than I am. I think I've gone about three times, and I did enjoy it. Um, but you know, I, and I, could, I actually can see how it, get, it could get quite addictive because it's literally all about the technique. Yeah, uh, I, 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 it was fetishized beautifully in um, in uh, the Big Lebowski, and since then I've always wanted to have all the gear and give it a right go. <laughs> you know, you know. Can, not can really, I just interject with a very interesting uh, bowling slash AI related fact? Please do. Yeah, the, the very first probably. 40 or 50 Anfield Index podcasts were, were um, edited by a guy called John Moore, who used to go by at Starlight Johnny on social media. He taught gags and all of them how to how to edit. Like um, John Moore is a semi-professional bowler now and uh, lives in Indiana. Um, really, really one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Doesn't do doesn't do Twitter or anything anything like that anymore. But uh, yeah, so John Moore he completely forgot when I was mentioning the people who were on the original podcast. John Moore was kind of the, the guy drinking of the day, only he only had one podcast a week to edit, unlike Guy who's got 40 or so to edit. Um, but yeah, John Moore is a, is a semi, and a, and a really good bowler as well. So yeah, shout out to John Moore. That's actually fucking fantastic. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's tied together beautifully. Was it the bowling one exclusively for you, Cam, or did you have another interesting 300 fact before I got to Guy? No, that's the only one I got. That's the only one I got. There's a whole list, but that one just stood out. That one stood out for you. Uh, Guy Drinkle, what about yourself? Interesting 300 fact. 
you know why I'm here, Trev, and that's to save cinema. It is. <laughs> it is. So it's your mission. We, it's what we're here for. So I've gone to the cinema. I've not picked 300. I've picked its sequel, Rise of, what's it actually called? Rise of an Empire. And I have quotes for you. Rather than a fact, I've got quotes with a movie for about 300. <clears throat> so this is almost a Greek tragedy. Themistocles, the Persians have offered the Spartans something they cannot refuse. I, sco- I can't say that bloody name. Icicles, what is that? Themis, a beautiful death. There we go. Oh, oh. And you know what? I've only recently watched that, and it's so overwrought and overacted. It's a load of lads. It's beautiful. I would really they'd love to be in Rada or something, but no, they're in 300 Rise of an Empire. Uh, and it's, yeah, that's beautiful. Actually, you know, to be fair, that's good crack, that film. It and is. It's, it's good fun. It, mi- it just misses Gerard Butler. That's the only thing that's bad about it. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, I think full circle, Gerard Butler is going to come back around later on in a Twitter oh, question, beautiful. unless I'm mistaken, which is, which is always fun. Uh, Dave, anything from 300 for you? Anything of interest? Yeah, well, this is a, this is an interesting fact. So 300 obviously based on the graphic novels by Frank Miller. The previous movie, 2300, based on a, uh, graphic novel by Frank Miller was Sin City, uh, which was a tremendous success. And they announced immediately after it that uh, there would be a sequel. Uh, they made me wait nine years, and then the sequel was a steaming pile of dung. <laughs> so Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez can take a very long walk off a very short pier for making me waste nine years waiting for a film and then producing slop in a bucket. And what was the slop in the bucket called? I can't remember what it was. Sin City, a dame to kill for. An atrocity. An both, absolute atrocity. Both had, both our films had Eva Green in, so that's a positive. Oh, that is, that does work. I bet you, I, I guarantee you the cast for that second Sin City was excellent as well. It's unbelievable. Eva... Mickey Rourke, Jesper Alba, Rosario Dawson, Jamie King, uh, Powers Booth, Bruce Willis, Josh Brolin, George, uh, Joseph Gordon LeVay, Eva Green, Ray Liotta, Christopher Lloyd, Jamie Chung, Jeremy Piven, Christopher Maloney. It's an incredible cast. And yet the film, it, it's awful. Like, it's genuinely one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's so bad. The first one is great because it's really enjoyable. The second one is just stupid. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's 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 disappointing, and uh, 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 even more disappointing. I'm disappointed myself. I didn't even know it existed. Obviously, Guy Drink on you and existed, and he's probably watched it about seven times. It's much better than but, the first uh, one, <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, of course. But that's a new one of me. Guy is uh, the what, type of fella that watches the Godfather trilogy and tells you the third one is the best one. Yeah, the third of course one. it is. It does. It, it gets it gets an undeserved kicking, but yeah, the Cuba uh, scenes, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Cuba scenes. Are- Anyway, 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 uh, I have two facts for you as well. Um, one is uh, historical and geographical, and that in that in uh, 300 AD, which of course is a random thing in and of itself. But anyway, the lion became extinct from Armenia, and the elephant became extinct extinct from North Africa, which I don't think everybody would know. But my favorite fact to get us in the mood. In AD 300, a very famous Indian handbook on the art of sexual love was produced by the sage <laughs> Vatsyayana. It is a very tasteful book about the art of love called the Kama Sutra. 
Um, and I'd like to think that we're all very familiar with uh, the workings of that book. We'll just leave you with that mental image, folks, before we move on to the first topic proper of the show. Uh, and I did want to talk about a football-related story on this one because, let's be honest, when the show started way back in the day, the idea was that it would be, and you know, with all the best will in the world, and, 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 and Dave will be able to lean into this himself, like, the idea was that most of us who were doing podcasts, we wanted to create entertainments, but it was quite earnest. I mean, we did care. Absolutely everybody cared. It was, it was about getting information across uh, and opinion across in a way that was quite earnest. You would have various levels of fun in the different ones. No doubt the one I was involved in was by far the most uh, anarchic. But at the same time, there was a, an earnestness there too. And I want to have that little bit of connection with it because we have a topic today, lads. I'll just go in reverse order on this one uh, than what I started to get a few ideas on it. We had the story that Newcastle United are about to be bought out, um, that there was a takeover, the much mooted takeovers that have been going on in the background for ages and ages and ages. And all of a sudden, here it comes. And it seems to be raising an awful lot of issues for people. Um, and what I'm going to do is, instead of me framing it up in a way that's perhaps prejudicial, I want to go straight and get your opinions on it. So, Dave, if you wouldn't mind just kind of giving folks the outline and then your take on what you think it means uh, for the club itself, which is a grand old club in the, mm. in, the, in, in, the proper, in the proper sense of it. You know, I think there's a fella... I think you've cited him before. There's a fellow who does a lot of media work, a fellow called True Geordie, and an awful lot of people mightn't like necessarily his stuff. But I watch it, and I like it. I'll tell you why. Because he just comes across as a proper football fan and not not spiteful and hateful in the way that so many other um, fan media sites are. And I have had that opinion of, of Newcastle as a club. I also have fondness for them. Maybe, maybe from a Liverpool perspective, it's because you know that they're never going to be any real massive threat to you. But I think, honestly, I just like them as a club. So just let's talk about it, Dave. Maybe you can let people know what it is that's happened. Maybe they're not in, 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 in the loop completely. And then maybe segue out of that into what you think about it and the consequences. Yeah, so the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, which is basically owned by... is, is the, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, basically... They have bought Newcastle United for, I think, £324 million. They've bought 100% of the shares, all the assets, the whole job lot from Mike Ashley, ending a 14-year odyssey of one of the worst owners the Premier League has ever seen in Mike Ashley, someone who disconnected the club from the fan base in a spectacular way. When you consider what Newcastle means to the city, the fans, the people, um, for him to just create that divide was incredible. Um, what it means in the short term, we don't know. It means that the Premier League now has obscene wealth at three clubs. Chelsea, Manchester City and now Newcastle. And the Saudi wealth. If you add up the net worth of every owner of the other 19 Premier League teams, every owner of the Championship 24, every owner of League 1 and League 2, they have less combined wealth. The other 91 clubs have less combined wealth than the owners of Newcastle United now. 
You can add up yeah. any 10 ownership groups across Europe, including City, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, Chelsea, and all the Russian clubs, any 10 of them, and you will not get to the wealth of these Saudis. So you're talking about, you know, an untold fortune. Jeff Bezos would look a little bit shy of cash stood next to these guys. Um, long term, it, it will likely mean we have another superpower team in the Premier League, if that's the route they want to go. There's a lot of assumptions being made that that's the route they'll go. They'll follow the Manchester City trail and they'll just spend and spend and spend. And, and that's maybe what they'll do. But there's more rules in place now. There's more checkpoints in place now, often because of things that City have done and things that City have gotten away with that the Premier League have kind of reactively banned, whereas they didn't do it when Roman Abramovich was doing it. So it will be harder for them to launder their money through Newcastle. It will be harder for them to bring money into the club from, you know, back channels, be it the fake sponsorship deals like City have with Etihad, where they say, oh, but Etihad pay us 90 million a year. And it turns out Etihad actually pay 8 million a year. City transfer 82 million to Etihad and Etihad transfer back 90 is how it's been proven to go. That's going to be much more difficult for them. But, I mean, you do have to sort of look at it and think, from our point of view, financially, we already know we can't compete with Chelsea. We can't compete with City. We can't really compete with United either because they've got such an incredible commercial machine behind them. This is going to be another obstacle. But it took City, what, four years maybe to become a real threat? after the, all the money started to pour into the club. Yeah, the Rubinho era was not successful. It was not Rubinho, Elano, players like that, where they were kind of just buying whatever they could buy to try and make themselves relevant. Now, Newcastle are, without question, a bigger club now than City were pre, um, you know, pre-investment than Chelsea were pre-Roman. Newcastle are a bigger club than either of them. They've had more success through their histories. They've got much bigger fan base. Newcastle are genuinely a huge regional team. Newcastle are in the class with an Aston Villa as being a huge regional team. The biggest in their area. There's like Sunderland, no disrespect. Middlesbrough, no disrespect. You're not as big as Newcastle. You wouldn't pretend to be. Birmingham, Coventry, Leicester, etc. You're not as big as Aston Villa in the Midlands. You don't pretend to be. They're the big team there. Tune of the big team up there. So if you look at real fan bases, and I, I don't mean the hangers on, the people that drift from club to club that you know on social media. Real fan bases, you've got Liverpool, United and Arsenal are the big three in English football. And then Newcastle, Aston Villa, Spurs, Chelsea, Everton, those would be the next group. Leeds would be in that group as well. Um, and, and City. I mean, City weren't as, like I say, weren't as big prior to being bought as Newcastle are now. But they were a big enough regional club and they would fill main road even when they were in, you know, second division to third division. But Newcastle has incredible potential because they don't have a massive neighbour next door. City had the shadow of United cast over them. Chelsea had the shadow of Arsenal 
cast over them. In the noughties, London was Arsenal City. Arsenal were the team, had been for a decade, well, more than that, 20, 30 years probably, had established themselves as London's number one team. Chelsea had to overcome that. Newcastle don't have to overcome that. Newcastle are already the biggest show in the Northeast. So they've got massive room for potential, massive room for growth. But I said this on Two Footed today. Before they invest in the team, before they try and build some all-conquering team, what they need to do is build an all-conquering club. And by that, what I mean is you need to appoint the right CEO. You need to appoint the right people to oversee your marketing department, your finance department, your communications department, your medical department, your academy, your scouting and recruitment. And when you have all of that done, then you appoint your manager and then you go and you buy the players that you want. You cannot build a great team without having a great club behind it. People who got frustrated with Liverpool under FSG in waiting for us to build a great team missed the point that what we were doing was putting in place this incredible structure behind the scenes. Then we get Klopp, then we get the team. You can't do it in reverse order or you end up looking like Manchester United where you've got 11 lads on the field who look like they you know, were given a call on the front. You know like, Trev, when you'd be playing a bit of pub football and on a Friday evening you might get a call, are you busy tomorrow, someone's dropped out and you turn mm. up for a kickabout with a bunch of lads you didn't really know. United looked like that to me. They look like someone calls them on a Friday. We're one short, lads, who's available? Right, send them down. Yeah, it just just so happens that it's Cristiano Ronaldo who's hanging around with his boots. But yeah, exactly. Totally get the point you're making. And that's a really interesting idea that it will take an amount of time for them to get the structure right. I mean, in in the grand history of this show, since I've been doing it, Steve Bruce has has, has figured very heavily um, in the early days, Cam and, and, and Carl and myself and Pooley used to be doing little bits of chats about Steve Bruce and Guy will remember all this crack. Uh, and it's just depressing to read that Amanda Staveley has revealed that she's spoken to Bruce and club captain Jim Malasells, but she has made no decision on Bruce's future. I mean, whatever you think about Steve Bruce, I mean, just it's comical to even think that poor old Bruce is going to be around. He may have a little spell it, it, where he gets it's to see her. It's unfair. Yeah, I mean, Look, it's there's a level the thing of cruelty. is, what Stavely and them need to do is they need to appoint a CEO to run, to run the company as a business, and it doesn't have to be someone from the football sphere. Go and find someone who's really successful in business. Have them run the business side of things. Have someone else as a president of football operations run the football side of things. Ask Michael Edwards if he's interested. If he is going to leave Liverpool in the summer, you won't. You won't do better than Michael you Edwards. Won't get better. You, won't get you know better. exactly. And, yeah. The best thing they can probably do is, like, they want to build, they need to build goodwill with the fan base. They need to bring those fans back in the door and get that stadium full. And one of the ways you'll do it is by thanking Steve Bruce for his his diligent service, the work he's done at keeping them in the Premier League, putting an envelope full of cash into his hand and sending him on his way. Appoint someone to get you through to the end of the season, go out in January and do the minimum required to keep you up and get into next summer where you can then have, you'll have at least some of your recruitment team in place. You'll have your director of football. You'll be able to identify the players you want, identify the manager you want and go and, you know, take your first real step then 
until the summer, you're better off in the holding pattern. Because if they go out and try and get really excited with themselves in January, you know what's going to happen. Like, let's say, for example, they get a manager in who thinks the striker I want is Divock Origi or the centre-back I want is Nat Phillips. That's the fellow we, we want to get us through to the end of the season. We want a Nat Phillips. He'll keep us up. But what do you think Michael Edwards is going to do when he sees that that phone number flash up? He's going to rub his hands together and he's going to say, oh, but Nat Phillips, I mean, defensive aerial win rate, you know, Liverpool's results with him in the team versus Liverpool's results without him in the team, yada, 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 40 million. Divock yeah. the man scored a goal in the Champions League final. You can't put a price on that, but if I had to, could be 60 million. Teams will nail them to the wall if they go out and try and get excited in January. And look, maybe they can just throw the money away. They have it to spend. They have it to light on fire if they want to. But you have to be smart. One of the things I always admire about City is even though that that first period, the Rubinho years, as we'll call it, they spent recklessly. When City got serious about being a real football club, they gave themselves a very strict cap on what they would spend on players. And up until Jack Grealish, they never spent above $65 million on a player. And they made sure that when they went to that upper echelon in the 60s, they got Kevin De Bruyne, who's become one of the best players in the world. Rian yeah, they, seem, yeah they were, they were quite... They were, were elite. Yeah, but they were quite they were quite happy to fire uh, fifty and below around at fullbacks. <laughs> they didn't necessarily yeah, but think of it like that. Kyle Walker, England first choice. Well, for England. to be fair, yeah, 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 he's men yeah, yeah. first choice for France. They, they didn't. Those players were going to go for that kind of price, whether it was the City or United or Chelsea. They just paid the going rate at the time. It wasn't like a thing where, like, we remember when you know Chelsea got their money and. They were paying bizarre fees, like fourteen million for John Obi Mikel, for example. United bought him for four million, but he also signed a contract with Chelsea, and United managed to convince Chelsea to give them sixteen million for a player they just spent four million on the day before. Yeah, they just yeah. threw that money away. City did the same. Alano, Alano was on the move for twelve million. And City ended up paying almost double that because they got involved and they went, oh, schmucks, we'll take their money instead of your money because they'll pay the same wage as you will. The player will be happy to go. He doesn't care. We'll yeah. just take all this. That's, City were foolish to begin with and then they settled down and kind of, they got they got football people involved and they put a real structure in place. It wasn't, was it Gary Cook? Is that the name of that guy that was flying by the seat of his arse there for a few years? And just throwing money around left, right, and centre. Then they brought in the lads from Barcelona who went, What is this mess? So realistically, so realistically, what we're going to be seeing probably is a sort of an interim phase with our half getting it together. And I certainly hope that they put Steve Bruce in a Bentley with a writing set and send him off to public publication house that they've bought for him so he can write more novels. That'd be fantastic. Uh, and Mohammed Bill Salman, if you're if you're if you're listening. And Guy, I want to bring you in on this as well, because, you know, th- there's there's a couple of angles I want to go on. Cam, I'm going to ask you a little bit about, you know, where where you stand on, on, on the concept of these lads as owners. But let's look at it from a fan perspective first, and feel free to talk about that yourself, Cam, in a sec. But Guy, from, from a fan perspective, I think it's been 14 years of Mike Ashley, and it's been a shit show. 
And, you know, all of a sudden, here comes, like we said, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, Saudi crown prince. There is patently fuckery going on in terms of weasel words and people are saying well it's not the it's not the saudi state now who's buying them it's 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 it's, it's this uh, P, pif so uh it's a little it's it's a like i say it's a way of weaseling out everyone knows what's going on like everyone can see what's going on in manchester city and their various dealings as well but it's probably just legally safe enough that they can get away with it um from a, a fan perspective, guy, and leaving out the morality and all that kind of talk, we'll talk about that in a minute. Leaving that out of it, can't you imagine that these guys, like I know my pal who's a City fan, like they, it was it was beyond Christmas, man. They were rubbing their hands together going, at long last, some joy we get to do. We get to act like the big boys. We get to be one of the big boys and hopefully have success and I mean, you have to have a certain amount of excitement for those people. Um, I know an awful lot of people will be incredibly po-faced and immediately say, yes, but look who they are. That was what happened when those kind of groups were being linked with Liverpool or Liverpool uh, fans were getting disillusioned with FSG and hoping they'd be linked with Liverpool. Immediately, the morality police came out and they probably have a fucking wonderful point, to be fair. But from a fan perspective, guy. They've got to be absolutely beside themselves with excitement, right? Yeah, and I think the thing with Newcastle is they would have taken anyone and been ju- maybe not just as excited. But the fourteen years of, of Mike Ashley, I mean, obviously we're we're in the podcasting business. I, me and Dave have spoken to various fans, and we spoke to my mate Harry, who I went to uni with, Harry De Cosmo, who's a who's a Newcastle fan. And, and Jake Jackman's an EPL uh, index writer and stuff. Every time you talk to a Newcastle fan, it's just like what this club could be. Yeah. I, it, and that's kind of what it is. Like St. James Park is one of the handful of stadiums I've been to, and then you see it and it's plastered with Sports Direct and shit like that. It's like, oh, God, this is just this is fuck ugly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, in terms of the, the fan experience, as I said, they, they would have taken, like, any... Any old random billionaire. I mean, there's loads of them about. Um, but the fact that it's like the richest country in the world or whatever it is and ten times richer than any owner or ten times richer than any owner's put together or something like that, it it, it is... It's only something... Well, Man City are probably the only ones that have experienced it, really. I, mean, I know Roman's very rich, but, well, two clubs in the Premier League in all this time who've experienced something like that. And then, and then this is just a, a a next level of that. Yeah, it, it 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 is a weird it is a weird experience. But I'm I'm quite happy for Newcastle fans. I know there's a morality debate there, but I think there's that Gordon Strachan clip, isn't there? There's no morality in football. I mean, there's a debate to be had, but we we've seen countless stories and and, and people in football. Morality doesn't ever pay you back in football. Um. But I'll let Cam talk about that in a sec. But in terms of the fans, yeah, after 14, 15 years of Mike Ashley, it, it couldn't have happened to a nicer club, to be honest. Like, Newcastle, maybe you've lot of, obviously been about a bit longer than me, but I've never heard Newcastle, like, mocking Hillsborough and stuff like that. You hear about some clubs doing that. Obviously, Chelsea, there's the blatant stuff. Man City, kind of not really an opinion back in 2011 or whenever it was, whereas Newcastle, maybe it's because I'm from the North East, and, and 
Dave, I'll tell you this. Borough won a cup in 2003, so they're the bigger club. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. But, um, yeah, Newcastle always seem like a sound club to me. I think there's certain clubs where they're like, I think West Brom's always one that stuck in my head. Like, they've done nice stuff, like nice um, tributes for Hillsborough and stuff like that. I see Newcastle like a club like that. The, the one game I did go to St. James's Park, actually, uh, Rafa had... Um, Ma- uh, Margaret Aspinall is a guest of honour, so I think there's like a a slight connection between almost Liverpool and um, Newcastle. So I'm glad it's happened to them. And do you think there's going to be a knock-on effect, just quickly, that we may, may as well brace ourselves for? In fact, if it's not currently happening live on Twitter as we speak, I'll be amazed. Where we have the the the, the regurgitation of that debate amongst Liverpool fans, it's it's almost inevitable, oh, guys. Happening. It's happening now. It's happening. Yeah. So it it is inevitable that it's going to be. Here we go. Uh, why can't we have nice things kind of thing? It's going to happen, guys. Oh, yeah, it's already happened and I've seen it. And it is a debate to be had because we are working miracles as a football club competing with this Man City team. And and we're, this is an era, well, in our successful era, Chelsea have not been that good and Man, uh, Man United have been terrible. So if eventually these rich teams will become well-run again. Obviously, Chelsea have improved since uh, Tommy Tuchel's came in. Man City is still that machine. Man United will eventually sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I, well, hopefully not, but they will. Um, and this Newcastle thing, whether it takes two years, four years, ten years, they they will get it right. You can throw that much money and it will get right. So, in terms of us, maybe not in in the in the short terms, in terms of the next few years, but it is a debate to be had. Can F, can FSG? continue this miracle working in terms of competing with people who have unlimited money and well i know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it's, it's 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 actually and you know what that's a brilliant segue into what i want to ask ask cam the angle i want to go at with cam and by the way just while we're speaking you know mo salah's absolute wind-up merchant of an agent must be rubbing his hands and glee because oh, there are already nice. stories stories going out there that uh, the the uh <laughs> the Saudis would really, uh, really like uh, to take him to Newcastle, and uh, the player representatives have warmly encouraged the offer. Uh, of course, of course, this is going on now. Enjoying this podcast? Then why not supercharge your support for the Reds with Anfield Index Pro? With around 30 premium podcasts every month, AI Pro offers the very best reviews, reaction, and debate on all things LFC. From the acclaimed statistics and deep dive analytics found in our Under Pressure podcast to the transfer links, scouting reports and fast live reaction shows we record after every match, AI Pro is home to our very best content. With regular appearances by Reds legends like Jan Mulby and Sir Kenny Dalglish, plus insight from journalists, sports scientists, coaches and psychologists, we'll help bring you closer to the club you love. There's never been a better time to take AI Pro for a test drive. Available on all popular podcast platforms, with free apps for iOS and Android. You can try it absolutely free with no strings attached. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com to start your seven-day free trial now. And Cam, there is an angle that we need to look at. And like I said, it's the one that actually begins and ends the conversation for most people. They don't go any further than it. Like, look, we 2021 is an era where people are incredibly po-faced. Uh, they're incredibly... Um, 
black and white about all issues. They are um, ideological in the extreme that they've never been before. You're, you're, they're, they're for you or against you. You're for them or against them. I mean, I don't know if there's any real nuance here. Like, guys suggest there's a debate to be had, and, and there could well be. I'm curious to know your take on it. I mean, an awful lot of people, like I say, they just shut this down immediately in terms of an idea. Uh, and some Newcastle fans included, because of the connections that uh, these potential owners have with human rights abuses, uh, because of several other um, um, things as well. And when you look at the way this is the machinations of this deal, where it appears to be all inverted commas above board, but you can see the, like I said before, the blatant fuckery that's going on, and there's some sort of weird thing going on with B in sports as well. Um, and it just has that feel of like, oh God, money is all that matters. Money opens every door. Money puts every problem to rest. It shuts up every dissenting voice. Where do you stand on this uh, concept of, you know, problematic ownership, Cam? It's it's really difficult. Um, I would like to think I would take the moral high ground if, uh, say, the, the Chinese government decided they wanted to take over Liverpool, I'd say, that's it, I'm done with football. Um, or I'm done with Liverpool as a football club. I couldn't, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I'd do that. The problem I, I'd have is my love of Liverpool Football Club is more than what might be my moral standards are. Um, it's, it's, I don't, uh, think there's anything wrong with uh, the Newcastle fans celebrating what they're celebrating tonight. Um, they've been in the wilderness for too many years, and they are they are a really really good fan base. Um, I know back in the eighties they they had a really horrible racial element within the fan base. Um, you just got to ask Johnny Barnes about that and the bananas that were thrown on the pitch at St James's Park and how. There's the infamous picture of him back healing the the banana off the pitch. So yeah, yeah. you know they they they've had their moments uh, as a fan base as well. But ultimately, you know that one or two bad eggs. Um, it's it. I like to say. Um, I I really don't know what to say. It, it, it's staggering in a way that football has allowed itself to become this. You know that. It's now a question of sovereign wealth funds uh, of what is needed to be the most successful club in football. Um, it's, it's taking something away from the beautiful game. It's taking something away from being an underdog because yeah. the underdog is that I means just, let's just look, let's just look at the last few years and all and the trophies won. When was the last time a real underdog won? I mean, would you say Leicester were an underdog last year to win the FA Cup? Possibly. But it, it just doesn't happen Wigan. now. Look at Man City every year they win the Carabao Cup. I think Wigan's the last true one, isn't it, Cam? There you go. And how many years ago was that? Leicester winning the league. Leicester winning the league were the last real underdog story. Leicester winning the cup. I mean, they're a team that should have been top four the last two years. Yeah. They've got an ownership group worth $4.1 billion. They're not the plucky underdogs they were when in fifteen, sixteen, or fourteen, fifteen, whatever year they were fifteen, sixteen. They were the underdogs, but yeah, the last real underdog is is probably Wigan. Yeah, 
Leicester, Leicester, let's let's be fair. Leicester got the perfect storm that year. They won the league because everybody yeah. else was so shite. It was crap, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and they, they got they got and fair play to them. You know, they they deserve. You 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 don't fluke winning the Premier League. It, it takes thirty eight games of bottle mm. to do that. So let, let's not knock what Leicester did there. But the problem is now it's it's all about super clubs. If you're yeah. not a super club anymore. What chance have you really got? FSG was so reliant on financial fair play, as we know, and that's been blown out of the water now with what Man City have been doing in the way that they're structuring their deals. Like Dave said, eight million, and it was suddenly ninety million coming through the back door, and on all this shenanigans. The thing I'll say for Newcastle is though, for people, for fans, well, not fans, for for football players. Is it an attractive city to go to? See, now I, I got that's what I think the issue is. Yeah, 24-hour Gregs. Twenty-four hour Gregs. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like, Newcastle is a nice city. Don't get me it wrong. It is. It's a great city. But it's like, Chelsea, city. Chelsea has London. Chelsea yeah. has the glitz, the glamour of London. Manchester is widely regarded, except by people from Liverpool, as the second, the number two city in England for. Things like amenities, shopping, entertainment, etc., yeah. etc. Right. So, so City had that as well. That yeah. had kind of Manchester grew along with United, Oasis. Manchester in the kind of nineties into early noughties was a booming, booming place. Newcastle isn't that. Newcastle's an is a great city. It's great city to go out in, but it's not. It's not those cities. It's certainly not London, and it's it's quite a bit from Manchester. Like. Newcastle is below Liverpool on the totem pole of where you'd want to live in England. You know, they're not even third, they're not fourth. I would say Birmingham is above them. I would say a lot of people would put Bristol and Brighton above them as well. So some of it is due to the fact that it's basically in Scotland. It's colder up there than it is in other places. and It's just there are going to be players that will not want to go there. Now, they will have ways to get those players there by offering them an extra 20 or 30 or 40 grand a week and that's fine but I mean there's a few things here that strike me the first one is for Newcastle fans I do think more of them are celebrating Ashley being gone than the fact that these owners have all the money like Guy said I think they're just delighted that he's gone because Jesus wept it was it was an atrocity and I, I think George Calkins the best in the business for Newcastle related journalism uh, and he's tweeted out today, 14 years of shit at Newcastle. Yes, things are relative, but the treatment of Keegan, the treatment of Shearer, the treatment of Gutierrez, two relegations, renaming the stadium to Sports Direct Arena, Joe Kinnear is both manager and director of football, Wonga, some of the worst football ever, things are ticking over, no communication, 10,000 supporters walking away, all these little nicks to prestige, all prestige, all the draining of hope and ambition and love, I hope that whatever comes next, before confronting it, Newcastle fans are allowed to celebrate the end of something. And I think that's what they're celebrating right now, is the end of Mike Ashley, not yeah. the start of these. I think a lot of Newcastle fans have their their doubts over this. But I will give Mike Ashley credit for one thing and one thing only. He said the most relevant thing I have heard any football owner say with regards to how the game is changing. Mike Ashley said, I'm a very wealthy individual, but I have the wealth of an individual. They're countries. They have the wealth of countries.
countries. He was been asked about trying to compete against City. And he said, it's impossible for a man, regardless of how much money he has, to compete against the wealth of a country. And he was right. And when you, when you, you're right, this is the thing. And you see Alan Shearer, um, and this sort of just raw emotion and his reaction that he's put out on Twitter. You'd like to think that it's mostly informed by that relief at the end of the Ashley era rather than, I mean, look, just to, just to, 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 to clarify what the, the, the human, people hear humans, human rights abuses, and it's all very vague, but you've got also situations like, I know the fiance of, of Jamal Khashoggi, who was murdered. Yeah. Um, uh, is, is, is launched in sort of some sort of last minute attempt to convince the Premier League that they shouldn't cave into this takeover because, you know, mentioning that it is a kind of sports washing situation. And you're talking there about the fiance of a murdered journalist. Mm. This is very pointed. This is very real. This is not, this is not some sort of vague, airy fairy thing. And, you, you know, but the, the mention- thing that strikes me most, Trev, right? And this is, we hear the word optics a lot now in, in modern media. It, it wasn't really a phrase that we ever heard up until the last, say, five, six, seven years. The optics of something. Yeah. The optics of this look so bad for the Premier League. This has been going on for a year, right? The, the being sport Saudi Arabia dispute gets resolved yesterday. And all of a sudden, this deal is approved and you're good to go, which tells us that the reason this deal ever got held up had nothing to do with the human rights violations in Saudi Arabia. It had nothing to do with the murder of, of said journalist. It had nothing to do with any of the back channeling that MBS has done. The sale of weapons, the sale of nuclear secrets that goes on in Saudi Arabia. Nothing to do with any of that. It all had to do with the fact that being sport is a valuable financial partner for the Premier League. That they were more concerned about one of their partners being out of pocket than they were with any of the rest of it to do with this group. And that's what concerns me. That's where it's a... Like, if they'd said, okay, that's now out of the way, we're going to resume looking into the possibility of this takeover. And if in two months it gets done, at least there's a, a, a period of time that travels there where you go, okay, well, they've obviously been through everything. They've cleared up all the doubts. I don't want to hear they worked through the night about it. What have you resolved in one night? But it's that oh, they kind have of guarantees that... It's not the Saudi Arabian government that are bollocks. Which that, that's patent bollocks. Anyone reading that article with uh, an ounce of, of brains in their head can see that that's bollocks. But also this, like I say, that, that being sport thing is really hinky. And you've got league officials saying, well, no, there's no, the breakthrough, you know, uh, and, and being getting their, their, um, their broadcast in Saudi, um, definitely that, that has nothing to do with the, the mm. key role, uh, you know, and the lawyers waving through the deal. And, you know, it was just an improvement in relations, they say, between Saudi and being a consequence, if you, if you they sniff, say. If you hold that statement up and sniff, you can smell the bullshit yeah. coming out of the place. Yeah, it stinks. It stinks. And look, I mean, I think, you know, that's the thing. As, as fans of, a, of, of, a, of another club, you do have to walk that line of go, going, you know, well done on, on being free of a dark, dark era. 
and fucking tread carefully because you, you know it's like i've said to people who are talking about fsg it's just be careful what you wish for because it, it there's a there's there's a there's a certain darkness to embracing that that um <laughs> may not work out the way you want it to work out and i'm just keeping an eye on the clock here and i want to switch away to a slightly lighter topic and <laughs> maybe people won't think it's a lighter topic but there's been a lot of talk about Jurgen's contract being up in 2024 a lot of talk about how he's already put it out there that he wants a sabbatical you know uh, Guardiola did this couple of months in New York or whatever uh Jurgen's just talking about it. look uh, but at that stage I'll need to stop it's what I've wanted to do for a while to stop and take a break and he'll still be a comparative young man in footballing terms in terms of managerial uh, ability at that point. he It's not like he'll need to finish. Of course, he could finish, but it's not like he'll need to. Uh, he's the kind of man who will inevitably come back. So people have started talking about allowing him to have that sabbatical and go away and hold the position and all that kind of thing. And maybe there'll be some sort of situation where you have someone coming in as a placeholder or, or Pep, Pep stepping up um, from his role, whatever, whatever the case might be. So I have a, a, a little interesting sort of uh, scenario for you guys now. Uh, the years roll forward to 2024, and somehow each of us has elevated us, ourselves to the, st- to the status where we are deliberately and possibly real options for that placeholder um, position. Uh, we won't say we're going to replace Jürgen. Jürgen's coming back, but you get to run the show for a year. So what I wanted to ask you and what I did ask you to think about, what is Liverpool looking like with you as Gaffer in 2024? What is your, what, what defines your Liverpool uh, for that year, that season that you get to run the club? What defines the club for you? What, what does that look like under your stewardship? Guy Drinkle, what are you thinking? Well, first thing, I'd probably have to tell Milner, you're probably going to get less minutes this season because he'll still be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he'll, be, yeah, yeah. he'll be my assistant. He can do that. It's going to be a tricky chat, that. He's not going to <laughs> want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. We're both Northern. It's fine. He'll understand. Uh, we'll, we'll do it over a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, obviously, I think it would be stupid for any new manager, even if it was me, but with my football manager brilliance, I've done. Yes. I've won eighteen league titles in a row on FM. I'll have you know. Um, <laughs> um, but you got to build on what Klopp's built, haven't you? You can't go for the superstar route. Like, it'd be like when, as, as uh, Dave said earlier, ringing lads on a Friday night and seeing who's available for five a side. I'm not going to drop in Di Maria for eighty million in in a team or something like that. You have to build round. Yeah, I think you have to look at um, stars from teams that aren't. Aren't your mega clubs? We, you can't be shopping from teams like Real Madrid and, and all that jazz. I think you have to be looking at, at clubs in the Premier League. I'll buy Ivan Tony. That'll keep Dave happy, so I won't have any bad PR from from the fan base. Um, Alan, you're waiting. Three, you're going to buy him in three years' time. What, I, Ivan Tony in three years' time will be worrying thirty, won't he? Well, Klopp's still here. Twenty-eight. Well, Klopp's, yeah, okay. Klopp's still here in this time, so Bobby will be playing every minute, of course. Of course, yeah. So I can get Tony then, or the next Tony, or whoever else Dave's like, Verts from Leverkusen, he'll be like 12 by then. Um, yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah, I think you have to build on what Klopp's built on, like, yeah. he'll be still up, he'll be still about then, Virgil will still be about, Kanate will be Super Saiyan by then, um, Moore will have a new contract, and if he doesn't, I will buy him off Newcastle. Um 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you have to look at these clubs, like say Brentford, your Brightons. I think you have to look at their best players and see if they're good enough to fit into a Liverpool. And I know we kind of did that in our in our Brendan spell, but we've got so much clever at doing that. I think we have to pick your right stars. You look at people like Jota and and others like that in recent times. I think we that's where we build from. So I'd be looking at players like that and think. You gotta keep you keep the pressing and all that jazz because you keep gags and the UP lads busy as well. But yeah, that's that, that's vital. That's a vital exactly. part of it. And to listen to guy there, Cam, uh, he's gone very, um, he's gone a sensible route. You know, he's 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 not going to spend big. I have to say, right, just from my Tuppence worth, I'd be very tempted to turn us into a pure banter club for a year just for the crack. I'm all for Albi Moreno coming back. I'm this is, that's kind of where I was going with this, man. That's kind of where I was going with it, but I, I, I'm curious, Cam. Was it? Were you t- t- when when I suggested this? Did you take it seriously, or were you thinking, you know, Liverpool under your stewardship, basically everyone would wear tight red pent? Oh, that that goes without saying. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they, the the players come out on for the picture with a tight red pent. Um, but so um, my big plans would be um, I'm going to revolutionise. Uh, managing uh, a football team so we we will for that year be the first club ever to let the fans decide the starting 11 every week so twitter polls every friday to select the team on based on available 11 which i will then reveal in the press conference um in the weekly press conference i'll say these are the these are the uh, 24 players available and then when the shit hits the fans i'll say well it's your fucking fault you bastards you fucking told me to pick these players. And then um, whenever we win, I'll say, see, I was, I'm, a, I'm a fucking genius. You know, I let the fans do this. And this is why we now have these results. And, and when we spank United 29-0, uh, 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 the old toilet, you know, I'll, I'll be a football genius. David Moyes in the bin. Just tremendous. I love it. I love it. Handing over the uh, handing over the decision making and yet retaining all the credit. That is genius, Cam. That is genius. I like it. Uh, it's the a way lot. to go. It's, it's the way to go. It's, 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 and it's a wonderful. I mean, you could enjoy the shit out of a year like that because uh, you, you you know you've you've abdicated all responsibility and you get to get all the glory. That is marvelous, son. We'll be marvelous. relegated, fine, but you know. I was going to say. No just a small price to pay. Klopp can yeah, fix yeah. that the year after it's fine. Exactly, yeah. yeah exactly. A little, a little run out of the championship could be the crack. Uh, uh, when you thought about this, Dave, did you think of it in a serious way or were you, were you, were you uh, more lighthearted in your approach? What were you thinking? A year in charge. What's well, I've taken like? a two-pronged approach, Trev. So obviously what? there has to be a serious element in this because football is serious business. This is not something that's done for fun. This is, this is serious business. So, you know taking over that regardless of what happens, Jürgen's coming back, okay? So all you're doing is basically guiding the ship for 12 months while he, I don't know, goes and smokes a bunch of weed in Asia or somewhere, whatever it is he wants to do. So realistically, everything else stays the same. You've got the same recruitment staff, the same analytics staff. All the backroom staff are the same, Pep and Peter and all the lads are there. So you just tell them, right, lads, let's carry on with what we're doing here. Okay, let's not change too much. Let's carry on with what we're doing here. Let's keep it ready for Jürgen when he comes back. And by doing that, 
and by you know finding the best of Jurgen Klopp motivational speeches on CD and playing it before every game, you can continue that same spell that the club has already had while minimising the amount of work you have to do yourself. Now, there are certain things I would like. There are certain players who would meet their end under me. On day one, I'm walking surprise, in and saying, Jordan, James, come with me, lads. I need to have a word. And I'm leading them to the gate. And I'm saying, if you see those two again, have them arrested. They're, they don't play here anymore. So they're gone, right? So that's out the window. But everything else stays the same. Give the recruitment team a, a little bit more um, input in things because I think Klopp can be, you know, quite dictatorial in, in terms of how he wants players brought in. So a bit more flexibility, get some more players in to replace the ones we've set off. But none of this is taking up a whole bunch of my time. You know, I've, I've got Peter and Pep and they take care of the training. We discuss the team together. On a Saturday or a Sunday, I have to stand on the sideline for 90 minutes and, and shout some stuff with a German accent on just to keep the lads, you know, comfortable and in line. But for the most part, that Liverpool team can take care of itself. So I, I during the week, I have a lot of spare time because Pepin and, and Peter and the rest are, are taking care of what they take care of and I'm not really needed. So what can I do? Well, I know Klopp is coming back in 12 months. So I decide what I'm going to do is I'm going to prick about here a little bit. So I'm going to take every personal space of his, his office at Anfield, his office at the training ground, and I'm going to completely redecorate them in ways that I know he will not like. Go and on. I'm going to put in smart plugs and smart bulbs. So even after I'm gone, I can just open an app on my phone, turn things on and off, <laughs> mess with his lights, just things that will leave a lasting impression on me in the life of Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> and all going well, I will carry the team to some success in doing it the way he would do it. We'll win a, a domestic cup. Or so I'll put more emphasis on the domestic cups and we'll win something like that. And then I'll approach Manchester United and say, how would you like to be managed by a real winner? Someone that's got some real silverware, not that chance or soul share that you've now had for six years. And I'll take that job on 11 or 12 million a year with my trophy in hand that I've won at Liverpool and make an absolute shit show of the whole thing up there. Oh, that's brilliant. Enjoy. So I'm going to lead that job into another job that leads to more success for Liverpool. So I'll have interim success for Liverpool and then take out one of the biggest rivals by doing mental things. Like, you know, oh, you signed Jaden Sancho to a seven-year contract on... 300 grand a week. We're going to release Jaden Sancho here uh, yeah. because, you know, we found a drug test that is just up to up to scratch. We'll spike a couple of these players, get them dismissed, you know, all these kind of things that can lead to longer term success for Liverpool. All while sat in my office in Carrington playing with the lighting settings in Kloppo's <laughs> office at the Axis <laughs> Raining Ground. <laughs> Jesus, make this mini series, please, Netflix. Make this mini series. Uh, it's tremendous. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm thinking carpet, but with speakers built into the floor underneath the carpet. Yes, I'm like, suspect. When, when I think he's having quiet moments of contemplation, just like old school trance music, just start blaring away. <laughs> the lights start to go. I'm just thinking it'd be great crack. He'd he'd have the place demolished within. 
45 minutes. Oh, you just, you just, you, things and all sorts. Maybe you stay in a state of raw fury while you were enjoying yourself at United. I think if, if, if my, on my watch, it'd be very straightforward. I mean, I, I wear the ball caps. I've got the beard. I wear the glasses. I'm usually smiling at people and being as nice as I can to them. I'll do the press. That'll be great. I'll enjoy that. I'll talk a lot of shite like Clapo does to them. I'll fill them full of crap like Clapo does. Nobody's going to notice any difference on my watch. I'll just let the lads get on with it every Saturday. I'll just, I'll just do like every manager I ever had said, you know, just uh, do your best lads and uh, talk to you after and that'll be it. And nobody, nobody will know the difference. That'll be the, I that'll think be... the lying to the press would be the most fun part. Oh, like you walking into a press conference and they go, is Virgil fit to start? No. And then he just starts. Or, yeah. you know, what's the latest on Mo Salah's contract? He's not getting one. And then he announces the contract the next day. Just throwing them off. Like even like a thing where they say, you know, they call you, they call you Trevor and they go, Trevor, and you go, that's not my name. And you make them call you by a different name. Absolutely. Or you make them call you Mr. Downey. You just say, listen, we're not friends. You'll show me some respect here. Or you could take the Louis Enrique way where you go, listen, lads, you all chat shit. I know much more about football than any of you. So sit there and let me educate you on the matter. I mean, you gotta, you've got to respect that angle. I, I think that's great. It's, it's, it was, it was very uh, stereotypically school teachery of him. Fair play. Um, I, I, I'm delighted with that. I'm delighted with that. That's, that's. I think, um, I think we've given the club food for thought for that sabbatical year for, for, uh, for Clapo, and there's no doubt it'll be one you of the. You do it by committee, Trev. You see, you know, we could bring make it a very Irish thing. So, like, you know, you you go to FSD and you say, look, this thing of you having to play the pairs' wages. Let's let's sort that out. Let's fix that. So you run a club lotto every week, and the and the the takings from the club lotto is split among the players, and that's their wages. And if we don't make enough money, tough shit, you know. <laughs> the transfer committee from the summer, well, like you know how a church has a a, a you know a, a a drive to get money for a new roof. That's yeah, what roof. We'll yeah, do. we'll put one of those thing those things at the front of Anfield where it's the you you paint in a bit more red going up as you get more money. So there you like go. You uh, uh, in the uh, player's uh, name. So you've got like uh, the lowest level. You'd, you'd, ha- you'd have a catamole. So that's all we'll be able to buy is a Luke Catamole <laughs> or a Lee Catamole. And then yeah. it's like someone else shit. And it goes up. And at the very top is Haaland. But what we'll do is if it reaches that, we peel back the second A and land that says, ha, 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 more money for Linda. <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> Rather than have a manager, we'll have a panel of selectors. And we'll yeah. all go on the piss on the night before. And we'll, and we'll pick the team in the pub. We'll write it on the back of a, of a, a beer mat or a, a fag box. It's, it's, work for, it's, it's, it's worked for it's worked for Gaelic football for years. I don't, see it. I, don't, I don't see why we shouldn't do it. I think it could be wonderful. I look forward to it. It's definitely going to be one of us. There's no two ways about it now, I'm convinced. I have a, qu- a load of questions from Twitter I want to get through. Cam, I know you're watching the clock, fella. If you need to go, just go and let us know uh, in the chat. Uh, I, 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 I know, I know you're, you're probably watching it, but I want to get through these and it's kind of in reverse order that they arrived onto my timeline. So if I left anyone out, forgive me. It's just they came in from various sources. So I'm trying to do my best with it. The first one's from Steve Smith and Steve is um, currently writing a lot of stuff for Anfield Index um, and comparatively uh, recent at that. And he's trying, I know, to build his uh, follow there on Twitter and to get eyes on his pieces that he's writing. And he is on Twitter at Steve, S-T-E-V, and then LFC capitals. 
So at Steve LFC. Um, so do give Steve a follow and read his stuff on the website. And Steve says, um, comparatively serious question here. How have each of you grown as responsible voices within the LFC community and what were the best and worst periods for you over that time? Now, the problem with Steve's question is that he is um, uh, implicitly suggesting that we are responsible voices. And mm. I'm afraid I'm afraid that is not the case. Uh, I, and I can speak for all four of us in that regard. I mean, try to be comparatively serious but just in terms of i i I love this angle on steve's question so cam i'm just going to go to you in terms of your sort of um contributions to lfc media since they started what was the best period for you i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be success what was something you really enjoyed or a particular particular period or era of it in terms of your your dealings with lfc media fan media with Anfield index Oh, um, I I don't know what to say on this one. I'm, I'm completely baffled. Or um, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I I've I've loved the um, I've loved the way all these podcasts have suddenly come out of nowhere, almost. You know, just generally in for all sports and football. Um, that's really blown me away how fans have really taken it to another level. I think um, the fans have actually shown a side of the fan media that is so much better than what these so-called experts are. Yeah. They 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 have a more, as, as biased as we want to be, we, we still try to be as balanced as we can be. And I think that is what I find quite refreshing. Um, with a lot of fan media sites, um, you know, obviously we're super biased enough. We're going to say Anfield Index is, is the greatest thing since sliced bread and blah, blah, blah. But I just think generally with a lot of fan media that, you know, it, it, it's, it's been refreshing. I think you're right. I, I think you're right, man. And, you know, I, I find myself even amazed at our own efforts on something like Raw when you're straight after a game. And yeah, you're one eyed and yeah, you're, but wound up after a result one way or the other but we always do kind of go out of a way to try and show show something balanced or try to be balanced and say well in fairness they did this or look at the opposition and give credit where it's due and that kind of stuff so that is a thing and you don't necessarily always get that from as you said the so-called neutral professionals but just from from a personal point of view with you with your own work i think with steve was driving out with the question was like was there a, a period of time over the years like i mean was it was it being bullied on Desi in the early days? Because that was always entertaining well, for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's you not know. just Desi I'm bullied on, though, is it, Trev? Ah, oh, come on, baby. Come on, brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, 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 I love doing. I love being part of this. I love doing podcasts. Um, yeah, every as I've said now, doing a podcast for me is it, therapy. It's therapeutic, and. Um, I, you know, I'm happy to go on a Nina Kauser show. I'm happy to go on, you know, Desi. We don't do enough of those. Um, I was thinking about that actually today. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think the one that really stands out is when, um, on Desi and I can't remember what the question was, but I gave the most ridiculous answer and it was like, because I said, uh, I can't remember. I think I said Phil. Or something, Phil Coutinho to a question when it was like the most obvious and stupid answer I could have given, and I got ripped a new one for that. So, um, 
that's probably the 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 biggest thing for me. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's all good, isn't it? It's all good fun. If you can't have fun on uh, on 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 here on any of these shows, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. I think you're exactly. Right. Yeah, it's it's that thing that Dave was mentioned earlier on. We you, you absolutely are serious. If you're not serious about it, it's only a hobby, and if it's a hobby, you know, fuck off. Honestly, it's not. It's never been a hobby for me. But if you kind of crack with it, then you are, as you say, you're dead right, man. You're doing it wrong. You're just doing it wrong. Um, Guy, for you, in terms of your involvement in fan media, was there a particular era that you really enjoyed? I mean, I can't lie to you, man. It was really exciting. Um, That 13-14 Rogers season when I, when I was podcasting first. Like, there's no point in, in, in denying it. It was, it was a really exciting time to be doing something involving new media. People wouldn't think that would be an era I'd go to, but it'd be kind of high-ish on my list. I mean, for you, what is it? What, what was it for you in, in, in the period of time you've been involved? Well, I think that it's probably the best and worst is probably 16, 17. Because I was on every fucking podcast. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every one of them. Um, this was basically before I became producer guy. Um, so that was the year I was known as the Alberto Moreno guy because it was the year James Milner was left back, and it fucking pained me because he was very slow and couldn't cross a ball. So I ended up being the Moreno guy. So that's where that stems from. Uh, so every Saturday, most Saturdays when I was on Nina's show, that's where that stemmed from because I was like, oh, we haven't got any attacking whip on the left. Maybe we should play a fucking left back. Um. <laughs> So that's where that came from. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that was always fun. Um, in the early days, doing a podcast with a random dude, I had no idea who it was, ended up on a podcast with Dave somehow called Lovren Good, and then a 10-minute run later, I was educated on why Lovren was shit. So that's probably a low for me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you clearly took it well, mate. Yeah. I got, I got a, uh, I got a DM randomly one day. Do you want to go and come up, come on our podcast? Two lads I've never had any dealings with on Twitter or anything like that. Podcast I hadn't heard of, and I thought, you know what, I've nothing else on. If they're trying to get something started, I remember when we were trying to get something started, reaching out to people. So why wouldn't I do this? You know, you you, you pay it forward. So I went on this podcast, took took an immediate liking to Guy, because at least he stood his corner. The other fella, whose name I can't remember, if I disagreed with him, he immediately changed his opinion on the matter. So yeah. he'd say something, I'd disagree with him, almost as a, a, an experiment to see what he would do. And he would immediately agree with me and disagree with himself. So I thought that was interesting. At least Guy stood up for himself. When I uh, when I place about the um... yeah, just just to be clear was this was this part of the early AI no 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 this was random guy, guy wasn't on AI or anything at this okay so okay. I I take credit full credit uh, for the discovery of guy um, because I got on well on that day started chatting to him a little bit on Twitter he wanted a podcast more I thought he'd be a good addition to AI but we were trying to, at the time we were still trying to figure out what we were what everything was going to be and yeah, you know we were, we were introducing new podcasts and stuff so we were trying to get an academy pod off the ground <laughs> i knew guy watched the academy game so i thought well that might fit all of a sudden he started doing them then he was appearing on other things so um yeah i think one for me one of my highlights is actually getting to know guy um the best i travel i agree with you i think 13 14 number one it was the first season 
that we were doing this, both us on AI and you, uh, you elsewhere. And it was just really exciting because every show just still felt like a big event for you. You know, you kind of hype yourself up across the course of a day to do that podcast on a Monday. Oh, man, do you remember being nervous before podcasts? Yeah, yeah. I remember being nervous and thinking about what you were going to say all day. You know? And trying to plan out, because like, the thing as well is, like, we used to bring on, like, Dan Kennett, obviously, has been around since the start as well. And when Dan would come on, Dan has a very matter-of-fact way about speaking. And he's obviously a very, very intelligent guy. And, you know, he'd say things and you'd kind of go, well, I hadn't thought of it that way. And you didn't want to look like some sort of thick fella just coming on and spouting nonsense. So you'd, you'd always be, if you had to speak after Dan, you'd be like, shut up, I better be ready to, you know, to go off what he's saying. So you'd be trying to plan it out in your in your head for a full day. Um, whereas now I don't do scripts, I don't do uh, agendas, don't do anything, just say to Guy, I'll figure it out as I go through. He doesn't even send me synopsises for the podcast. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's no point. I, mean, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm going to say when I start, and I don't often remember what I've said when I finish. I remember the topic, but very little else. So that's why when I tweet out about two footed, it's li- literally the topics I hit on, because I don't plan any podcasts anymore. I, I gave up planning them because I tend to meander and go off on tangents. So I get up in the morning, I do first podcast with Guy, and then as I go into the second one, I start to think, right, what am I going to talk about? This is the three bits of news. This is the topic I want to hit. This is something else I'll mention, and then I'll finish on the gossip, and I just sort of go from there. So I suppose now is is probably for me, because this is what I do. I podcast now all the time. This is what I do. I don't do anything else. I podcast and I write for the Liberty Shield website. So this is the best time now for me as well. But that 13, 14 year, because if you remember, that's the the year as well with the Kono Playanka disaster in January. Oh, fun. The and everything. Fun. Do you know what I mean? So, and we, and, we and spoke then, about this before, Dave. Twitter was actually good crack back then. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a bit of fun, you know? It was, it was... But it was more respectful as well. You felt like yeah. the whole fan base was, was one entity. And then all these kids appeared and then a, a lot of people uh who you know aren't worth naming just decided that they were going to become you know super fans so you weren't allowed to criticize the club anymore or you know then there was these like the they're now the fsg out brigade where they criticize absolutely everything and there was no real place for anybody that wanted to be in the middle there was no gray area anymore and i kind of lived in that gray area where I would criticise what I thought was worth criticising and praise what I thought was worth praising. You're not to do that anymore. Um, well, you are, and you have you have a platform to do it now, man, which is great. To be fair, that's and it, like you say, all Twitter. Yeah, yeah, well, hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say that season, especially because it built that incredible crescendo where it all came down to that Chelsea game, and then the worst part is the night of that Chelsea game, all the way through. From the night we lost, the day we lost to Chelsea, all the way through until Klopp got got the job. Because once that league title fell away in the manner in which it did, and then Suarez left and we signed bags of shit, and all the the, the Rogers stuff where there was you know pro Rogers camps and anti Rogers camps and all this kind of stuff, 
And that's where the real toxicity in the fan base that still exists today began. I, I just think that period of time from May 2014 all the way up until Jürgen appears in October 2015, yeah, that was the worst time. Twitter was horrible. The podcasts were really hard to go on because there was so much negativity on social media and you'd have people saying, oh, I bet, you know, he's going to slag him off on, on, on the podcast tonight. I'm like, well, hang on, it's not slagging him off if it's speaking about what we've just seen. So then you have to become overly cautious about what you're saying. And then there'd just be times where I just had had enough. So I'd go on and I'd say whatever it was that came to mind, knowing that I'm going to go on Twitter tomorrow and it's going to be an absolute dumpster fire because, you know, 150,000 people are going to listen to this tonight and tomorrow and every one of them will have an opinion and maybe one in ten will tweet about it and then it will just be this scourge in my mentions. So that's actually the summer I locked my locked my account on Twitter as well because I just couldn't be dealing with it anymore. It just became so much with all the arseholes that, that just popped up here there, and everywhere. So, yeah, I would say the best is the last two years or so, like, oh, how, how long are we doing Raw? Three years? The uh, Raw period, and and, yeah. and and since I started Two-Footed, is the best long, long-term long time. And in that period between losing the title against Chelsea or, or you know, the, the loss against Chelsea until Klopp came in was the worst long-term spell. Yeah, I'd agree on both. I'd agree on both fronts because that that that, that was a dark, dark time. And the the lowest point, I think, the Real Madrid match, the mm. lowest point for me, and I was just like, oh my god, this needs to end. Worse than Hodgson because at least the Hodgson thing had a sort of uh, a, a, an almost comically awful uh, aspect to it that you, you knew wasn't going to last. Um, we should give one of these questions to each of you then, so we can get through them and the, the show doesn't go on for seventeen hours because it's looking like it might. So first up then is Fred Flunk who asks Cam specifically you if ghosts can walk through walls, why don't they fall through floors, Cam? <laughs> oh my day. Why specifically me? Um, <laughs> mind you, because I've probably seen ghosts, that's why. Um, there you go. That is one hell of a question. If they can walk through. Because they're floating. That's yes, why they that's full proof. Right. Oh, See, wow, that's, that's actually brilliant. They don't that's walk through walls, they move through walls. Move through, move through walls, well, yeah, mm. they float through walls. Very good. Oh, you're right. You nailed that. There's no, there's nothing more that needs to be said. That's actually, Christ, I never saw that coming. Fair play to you. Uh, next one up is from uh, Pierce Cult on Twitter, uh, and he asks a question. Let's say, Guy Drinkle, you had the power to change one Premier Club's name for a season. What's the club and what's your idea? Oh. The banter potential here is great. So you've, you have the power to change one Premier League club's name for one season. What is the club and what is your Name change. I mean, is it just as boring as going like Man United and just calling them shit cunts or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a winner, right? <laughs> Check the chat box. Uh, I mean, that's an absolute winner. Shit right? Chester United, I like it, Cam. I prefer, but mine's a bit blunter, but yeah, if you want to keep the United in there, why not? I, yeah. I like the idea of just call, re- renaming Everton Small Bitter Blue Bastards. Oh, I yeah. just. You know, I, I just think that'd be beautiful. You just, yeah. you know, S B B B, and that's what they'd have to call themselves. 
SBBBB. And who do you support SBBB? And what does that mean? Oh, it's it's in Latin. You imagine the lies they'd have to come up with to try and tell people that it didn't mean small, yeah. bitter, blue bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm all over that. I've got a, a Gerard Butler question for you, Guy. I'm going to come back to you with that one. So next up then is Pooley. This is for you, Dave. Pooley's asking what percentage of ex-Liverpool players turn out to be terrible Tories with uh, talk sport views and end up letting you down. I mean, uh, this this question kind of answers itself um, in a way. Uh, but if you have to put a number on it, I mean, it's an interesting one, let's be honest. If you have to put a number on it percentage-wise of the lads who turn out to be a terrible letdown in terms of their views or uh, their talk sport uh, attitudes to life, uh, what, what what sort of number would you would you estimate, Dave? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because I find that most ex-Liverpool players who become pundits just become terrible pundits. But I wouldn't necessarily say they're terrible people. Like, you know, Owen is a terrible pundit. I don't think he's a terrible person. McManaman's the same. I wouldn't be a big fan of Carragher, but I don't think he's a terrible person by any stretch, uh, spitting at, at children aside. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Danny Murphy, there's, there's a, just a, there's a reek of talks more Tory off Danny Murphy um, I'd say it's a small percentile I'd say we're talking 10 to 15 percent yeah. turn out to be you know terrible Tories who pop up on talk sport talking absolute bobbins now I will say I generally think when you sign your contract to, to go on talk sport you probably have to agree to talk absolute horseshit, it seems to be a mandatory requirement. Um, yeah. So maybe it's just people desperate to feed their families. You know, I, in that case, I can respect the hustle. Yeah, you, you've got it. You've got it. Oh, guess who's popped up for a little cameo appearance in the background? It's only Carl Kopak, listeners. Uh, and just in time before the end of the show, uh, what we're doing, Carl, is we're doing a round of questions that have come in from Twitter. Um, so you get to be involved in this and you get the next one in the list which is um from from the lady who joined us on last show and now a member of the extended aip crew lisa marie lisa marie hannahan uh, who asks what do you predict for both liverpool and yourselves by the time episode 400 is being recorded now let's say there's how many episodes there's roughly 50 a year um so you're talking about two years time carl you're looking down the barrel of a two-year time uh, sort of time span. Um, what would you predict for Liverpool uh, at that stage and for yourself as a media uh, guru extraordinaire at that time? <laughs> media extraordinaire in the middle of podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, one more title. One um, more title. Okay, uh, nice. Very, very close European Cup possibly win, but possibly final. Which I think... I think- I think that's par for Liverpool these days. I think you're right, man. I love that as a concept. Uh, and, and, and yeah, actually, you can take the fifth on your, your personal involvement in, um, in podcastery. I know you're off sh- uh, sh- um, Sherlocking this evening. Uh, and uh, I know you've taken a, a, a little bit of a backward step from the football once for the time being. We shall see how that pans out. Uh, I should also just say it's good to have you on, man, on episode 300. Delighted you can make it uh, to be part of it. Um, we have had a good old chat 
Uh, and I, I want to include you again in the final question here before we all disappear. But I want to get through them because folks have been good enough to submit them. And there are two more. Um, uh, Kimi Casanova, that's Akeem Dream Star on Twitter, asked us to have a talk about the Tommy Tuchel video that he sent me. And it's a marvel. And I, I, I'm going to do this in a later show with you. So uh, bear that in mind. That's coming back up. And then Kyle Lanker asked, um, how do Reds feel about their American counterparts? He says, I love the club as much as the next, but I feel like my opinions on footy are never taken as seriously oh, as someone no. from the UK or Ireland. Oh. Sorry. What's that? It annoys me that. It annoys me that when people say, oh, you don't take me seriously. Because you bloody do. You're into football watching the same thing. Well, yeah, but I, I totally get where it comes from. There can be occasionally just a feeling. And maybe, you know what? Look, I, I, in some cases, it can be as simple as you know what, that's not necessarily my thing. I don't come from there. I'm an outsider looking in. But honestly, and I think we've covered it on this show a million times as a topic, you know, I've nothing but the height of respect for folks who support from all corners of the globe. And as a as an Irish lad, you know, we don't have any special dibs because we're that bit closer. You're still... Uh, you're still an outsider in vertical commas for whatever that means, however that's to be taken up. So I, I, I would think... I, I will I, say that I do think the Liverpool fan base is more inclusive and better at, in, at accepting outsiders I think so too, than yeah. any other club because of the fabric of the city, because of how Liverpool as a city formed. I just think our our fan base is more accepting of you know, people from America, people from all corners of the earth, like you mentioned, as opposed to, like, I see it on Twitter, because the EPL Index account follows a lot of other accounts, because, you know, it's been run by a bunch of different people over the years. You see a greater slice of the different football communities, and some of them, like, it is, it's a vicious, um, almost adversarial viewpoint they take against anyone. Like, if they look at their bio and it says, you know, Nashville, Tennessee, they don't care what they have to say about football. They'll just give them their own opinion on America and on Americans in general yeah, and basically yeah, yeah. call them Donald Trump and tell them to fuck off. So I I do I do see where he's coming from, uh, the, the guy who asked the question, but I do think our fan base is, for the most part, better than most others at accepting people's views and regardless of where they're from or what their seed regeneration is. But as somebody who lived in Australia when AI started and was lived in Canada and continued to do these podcasts, the amount of respect I have for people in those countries who get up at bizarre times. Like I was in Perth and Champions League games used to be on at like three and four in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, the, yeah. ele- the, 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 the early kickoffs on Saturday would be at 6.30 Toronto time, which is 3.30 in the morning if you're on the the west coast of of the US and Canada. So not a doff of the cap to all of those people that get up at mental times to watch games and then still have to go through the normal day. A hundred percent. I think if you avoid the darker corners of Twitter, Kyle, and I'm sure you found this yourself, uh, that you know what they've saying is pretty much right. I think there is this sort of um, far more embracing attitude or open attitude to to to, to fans from everywhere. There's also Trevor, a very good book written about what it's like to support Liverpool from other parts of the world. Really? What could you could you maybe uh, just expand on that a little bit? I'll have a look on Amazon to see if it's yeah it is available yeah. 
Um, it's available. And, and the name of that book? Where Everywhere Us, the season of the story of the 2014-15 season, that's told by friend and foe, starring Trev Downey. Wow, 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 wow. We can that... uh... tap back out the starring Trev Downey bit. That's yeah. I'll let it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I, 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 and, and again, I, I, it did impact sales, Carl. I, I told you to leave it there. <laughs> yeah, told... You're right, it did. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. it was. It? Not the fact that Liverpool were bloody terrible that season. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's uh, if 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 you if you'd left that there, uh, it would have it would have <laughs> gone like hotcakes. Leave down here, they will come. Yeah, yeah. It's a Reeves and Mortimer pro- uh, um, product. Uh, we should we should move on to the last question because this show has gone long ass at this stage and I want to start wrapping up because folks don't have all this time in the world to listen the last uh, question that came in on Twitter is the last one we're going to finish off with um, and this will be our, our last thoughts we won't bother getting uh, wrap ups because we have nothing to wrap up so I'm going to finish with this discussion and this from Nick who's a long term listener and always been a good lad to talk to on Twitter and uh, Nick Turner 13 on Twitter and Nick says you're on death row which is a nice cheery way to end the show what is your final meal and beverage? Uh, it can be anything in the world. And again, what I like about this is, you know what, why I wanted to finish with this? This is the type of thing we were doing on the very first podcast. These were the type of things that people were sending in, these type of things. Or if you were me and you were dealing with a bunch of, 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 of deranged lunatics in a small bu- uh, bunker, uh, we were discussing questions about who would win one bear or 15 otters. You know, these are the type of questions we were dealing with. But I like this because it's there's always been a food and drink theme to the Anfield Index podcast, on my watch at least, since I think about episode 160-odd. So be here for half of them. Uh, which is quite a big chunk. And that has always been a recurrent theme. So I want you to give it a bit of thought, your final meal, gentlemen. And if it's a question you've been asked before, brilliant. Lean into it. Talk to me about what it is and why. Cam's back. He had to disappear for a minute. Since you've been away, Cam, we've added Carl. So yes. it's all, it's got, Hello, the, it's got, it's got the, uh, the whole, the whole, the whole, crew, the whole gang's here. So can I just um, interrupt you very quickly, Trent, to uh, admonish Mister Mister Kopak there, who says that we're inclusive. Um, your book can't be shipped to Ireland from Amazon. <laughs> so um, dear, what dear. you've done there is you have basically told the island of Ireland, on which myself and Trev both reside, that we can all go fuck ourselves, and that your book is too good for us, which I, I just think is a bit rude. Okay. I, I, I again refer you to the Trevor Downey insert <laughs> within the book. We weren't allowed to send it to Ireland because you wouldn't you wouldn't pay his royalty fees, and that's what it was. Oh, it, it, it's not that; it's the trailer fees. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought that was only for like online appearances and stuff like that, or you know, guest shows or live events. But apparently, writers get them too. Yeah, no, yeah, he's big time. He's big time, this man. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I wanted one of those uh, trailers that expand out the sides, you know, those, uh, the pneumatic lads didn't need that, you know, it's, uh, guys, the lads gotta have standards. Uh, so we will start with the returning Brainchy. Your, uh, your final meal, brother, what is it? My final meal would be Mrs. B's homemade pizza, because I can honestly say hand on heart, it's, it is the best pizza in the world. No pineapples, obviously. Um, uh, you know, only abhorrent humans have pineapple on pizza. So, um, uh, it'd be Mrs. B's pizza, 
I'd have a nice glass of milk and coke just to wind everyone up. <laughs> um, and, and for dessert, it would be a red velvet waffle. Oh my God, you, that is, that's almost like the perfect branch contribution. Mrs. B, by the way, is definitely standing behind you. We all know that. Uh, that, but, but, but the, the reference to Mrs. B's pizza, the reference to milk and coke and the little grenade fired in there. That's just chef's kiss, Cam. Beautiful stuff. Guy Love Drinkle, it. your final, your final meal, my friend. It is, it is it, is it what we all expect it's going to be? It is, yes. So <laughs> I'll start with the drink. I've got two drinks. One's a bit desserty. A McDonald's vanilla milkshake. Because Dear God. Dear God. Because of okay. course. Then some Dr. Pepper on the side, because, you know. Nice. I'm a man of class. Yes. <laughs> and then I'm going to localise this, because you're expecting me to say Toby Carvery. But I'm, go- I'm going to go for a Mermaid Carvery, which is my local restaurant, which is just overcooked meat, but it's fucking spectacular. There it is. <laughs> uh, is the gravy just absolutely wonderful? It is. Absolutely you yeah. have to ladle that bitch on yourself as well. Yes. Yes. Is 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 the fact that it's your last meal due to the fact of what you're actually eating then? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> you can get a king you can get a king size plate, so it could be. <laughs> king size stones of food poisoning. Oh guy drinking because of the gallows, I'm afraid. Guy drinking a man versus Carvery. Uh, I, I, I would hate to watch this. That's a YouTube channel in itself, isn't it? Man versus Carvery. Oh, it's I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a winner. Sign them up. Uh, Carl, your final meal. What is it, man? My, my favourite food in the world is, is monkfish. But... Um, okay. But that's that's probably not really last. Step. I really I really like a jacket potato with cheese and beans, and I, and, I, and I'm trying to be the most northern man in a sort of Sam Allardyce way possible. But yeah, I just really really like that. Or I would go um, scrambled egg on toast with spinach and salmon. Yeah, right. Okay, both of those have the the, the bang of comfort food to me. Yeah. So and and, and both of those are the bang of desperation. What he's hoping is that someone will see that and go, "We can't kill this fella. He's already <laughs> dead inside." Yeah, and they just let him live on. That's what he's hoping for. What are you I'm, watching I'm, there? I'm, I'm, I'm having proper salmon. I'm not having any of this, any of this Sainsbury's nonsense. I'm having the proper stuff. What are you washing down your uh, spinachy eggs with? <laughs> say Sprite, just to just to sort of channel my inner drink over. Right. Um, no, McDonald's Sprite is fucking glorious. It's different. It hits different. How this long is... do you expect to live, guy? Long this enough is, to long enough for my my teachings to be aired on AI podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> long enough for for Netflix to pick up Man vs. Carvery. That's all we need. Uh, just enough time for that to happen. And Dave, as the oldest voice on AI as a podcast, the honor is yours to finish us out with your uh, with your favorite meal. I'll just say a sandwich. Because that's what I always eat, sandwiches. And um, for Cam Branch, because he's convinced I'm pissed on every show, I'll say a, bo- a bottle of red wine. Where I'm always I'm always drinking tea, but I'll just drink it straight from the bottle for Cam. In fact, I'll dedicate the meal to Cam as I'm walking <laughs> down 
uh, uh, death row itself. So the so other like walking with a sandwich in one hand and a bottle in the other. Sandwich in one hand, <laughs> bot- swigging from a bottle of cheap, uh, cheap ass spar red wine. And dedicating my oncoming death to Cambridge. There you go. That's that's just how it's going to go. Uh, Dave, your like I say, honor is uh, as the OG here. The final word. Your last meal, my friend. So my favorite food is like Mexican food. So if I was getting, if if it was to be a meal, I would probably just go for you know some Mexican food, a burrito, a quesadilla, whatever you want, and that's fine. But if I'm going out, I'm going out in style. Yes, you are. I haven't drank alcohol in over a decade at this point. Right. Um. So I would ask for a cup, a, a bottle of a fine Kentucky whiskey. Kentucky bourbon. Yes. Some nice Caribbean rum. I'd pop the tops off them. I'd have one in each hand. I'd ask for the biggest fuck-off cigar I could get and just one hour on Twitter. And I would lay the world to rights before I go while getting progressively drunker. Sorry, sorry. sorry. You would lay the world to waste. Let's get this. Yes, I would set it on fire on my way out. But... As you can imagine, like, having not drank in over a decade, I would be drunk fairly quickly. So you can imagine the tone in which my tweets would, would take as we drink more and more. Um, and I would probably finish it all by saying goodbye to my friend and yours, Dejan Lovren, on Twitter. Best of luck, buddy. And I'd be out of there. That would be me. Oh, it couldn't be more on message. I'm delighted we finished that way. Uh, I want to say, because we, we, I'm looking at the clock. We've clocked past night the 90-minute mark. This is longer than the Liverpool match. But I've enjoyed it immensely. And I know Cam is waiting up before he gets his beauty sleep. I know Guy's probably got 18 more podcasts to do, as does Dave. Whereas Carl's off. He's definitely got somewhere else to go to drop shameless plugs in for his books. These people are busy and I appreciate their time this evening. It's been genuinely, and this is not bullshit, an honor for me doing this show and hosting it. Like I say, I think I picked it up in the 160s. We're at 300. That's a big chunk of fucking shows to be hosted. Uh, and I've enjoyed it immensely um, with all of the lads involved here this evening. So thanks to Guy and thanks to Carl, thanks to Cam and thanks to Dave. And more to the point, thanks specifically to all of you who listened over the years, who are listening to this show we do appreciate you immensely and we enjoy interacting with you, even though that has fallen off across the board with everybody, because that's just the way things have gone on in terms of interactions. But we know you're out there. We know you're listening. and We will continue to provide as good a show as we can for you into the future. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Speak to you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index, and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows.
Sports Social Podcast Network.